In this episode of the Leaside Lives podcast, I'm very pleased to say that we've got a special feature on the team involved at Fiction at the Friary. Earlier today, I caught up with Madeleine Darcy and Daniel McLaughlin, Cork writers, who are the hosts and co-founders of the Fiction at the Friary event, which takes place on the last Sunday of every month at the Friary Bar in Cork City. It really is a terrific event to attend. If you have not done so yet, there's uh, interviews with guest authors, there's an open mic for, for readings to be shared and heard. Uh, there's also some jelly beans, there's a book raffle, and it's just a, a nice gathering uh, on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, we're going to hear more about that shortly, because earlier today I spoke with Danielle McLaughlin and Madeline Darcy at the wonderful Fitzgerald's Park there is quite a lot of background ambience but hopefully that adds to your experience rather than takes away from it Uh, and as as I'm saying those words a robin has just sat beside me on a park bench at Fitzgerald's Park what a magnificent spot it is so here's my interview with Madeline and Danielle do enjoy and don't forget to check out Fiction at the Friary Danielle McLaughlin's debut novel The Art of Falling is published by Random House in the US John Murray in the UK and Ireland. Danielle's debut collection of short stories, Dinosaurs on Other Planets, was published in Ireland in 2015 by the Stinging Fly Press and in the UK and the US Canada by John Murray and Random House in 2016. In 2019, she was awarded a Wyndham Campbell Prize for Fiction. She was also writer-in-residence at UCC for 2018-19. And Danielle's stories have appeared in publications such as the New Yorker, The Irish Times, South Word, The Penny Dreadful, and in The Singing Fly. Madeline Darcy is a fiction writer based in Cork City also. Her publications include the debut short story collection, Waiting for the Bullet, Dirt Press 2014, which won the Edgehill Reader's Choice Prize in 2015 in the UK. Her second collection of linked short fiction, Liberty Terrace, was published last year by Dirt Press, and Madeline has also recently completed her first novel, uh, which is a set uh, in France and Ireland. Her short fiction has appeared also in various uh, journals and anthologies, newspapers including Sunday Tribune, Made in Heaven, and other short stories, Sharp Sticks, Driven Nails, and many more. In 2010, Madeline received the Hennessy Literary Award for First Fiction and the overall Hennessy Literary Award for New Irish Writer. I think Fiction at the Friary, it's five years or more now that's, since you had the first one. Looking back on that, do you remember, Danielle, who the first guest was and, and how the, the event went that day? Our first guest was William Wall. I think we were just so, so fortunate to get him because he gave an amazing reading on the day and we had a wonderful crowd and he had just won a major award as well the drew hines award if i remember correctly um so it was fantastic yeah we had a huge turnout and i remember being um on a bit of a high after it i think because there was such there was such a fun a fun buzz about it It was actually amazing because uh, myself and Danielle had a meeting in December 2016 in the Friary Bar with my brother Mike, who um, is the proprietor of the Friary Bar. And Mike really was very open to all sorts of events happening in this very small bar. Um, uh, Danielle hadn't even met Mike then, but the three of us sat down. We all thought, yeah, this is a great idea. When will we start? We'll start in January. 
How will we start? Oh, well, we'll have to pay our, our, our readers. We won't pay ourselves. Um, who will we get to sponsor this? And we thought, hmm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we, we thought, well, look, we have no sponsorship. We have no funds, but let's start anyway in January. And then we said, who should we invite to be our first guest? And um, I think I, I might have said uh, Bill Wall, William Wall. Um, he's great. And Danielle said, oh, I know, I know Bill. And then Mike said, sure, I know him as well. And then we said, we'll give him a call. And so I think it's a good um, lesson for people who want to set up anything that sometimes you just have to rely on um, instinct and goodwill and just do it. And then other things may come from that. But he, we didn't know at the time that uh, Bill was going to win this amazing prize, never won before by a European. But of course, the pub was packed with well-wishers and we, it was amazing, wasn't it? It was the best start ever. And we have to really thank um, William Wall because as soon as we rang him, he immediately went, oh yeah, as well. And you need that kind of enthusiasm to push things forward. Clearly you saw an opening for this. There wasn't something, an event like this in, in Cork already and... Um I mean, it's gone from strength to strength now, albeit he had to cope with lockdowns and all that, but it's still going, Daniel, so you must be really proud. Well, we started it because I think it, we wanted to go to an event like that ourselves and there wasn't anything happening. And there had been an event called um, The Lightning Bug run by Norma Burke for a while, but Norma had moved away. So there wasn't anything specifically for fiction writers. And we just wanted somewhere that we could get together on a kind of a relaxed informal basis and have readings and chat and I suppose a bit of um, companionship and just that support that you get from being with other writers because you know it can be a lonely job at times that the writing life so it's good to meet other people who are in the same boat and just to hear how they're getting on and, and what's happening so yeah this is our sixth our sixth year and yeah it's amazing to look back and see all the people who um, came along to the friary bar in in those years and who chatted to us and we've had some amazing conversations with all kinds of writers they're really across all, all kinds of genres and also uh, many writers who uh, actually read for in public for the first time at our very friendly open mic section have gone on to uh, publish in uh, journals and anthologies and also to publish their own books so um, that's a really really nice thing I think and the other thing that I um, hold dear to my heart is the fact that several people have mentioned to me during the time that Fiction at the Friary has run that it's been really good for their mental health they found it very cheering and um, encouraging and especially people like writers or uh, aspiring writers or readers who spend a lot of time on their own um, just having that conviviality and um, and and a fun supportive ambience is very important but that's why lockdown I found in particular really really hard because we had to record on zoom and you know, we, we, we had to keep something going, but I, I found it really difficult. So I don't know about you. Everything was tough for everyone, but trying to run an event, and we're not actually the most um, 
sort of uh, technologically savvy are we, either of us. <laughs> you know, we did our best and we also held an online book raffle and posted books to people. So I think a lot of people really like that, that they got something through the door at least. Well, you kept it going, fair play. And it's, I mean, it's a highlight of the month for me, for many people to go along to listen to writers read, to meet like-minded people, to eat some jelly beans, which is great as well. Uh, to enter the book raffle. Um, so, I mean, with fiction at the Friary, I guess Oveil, Paul Casey, was on with me a few weeks ago. That's the poetic or poetry equivalent then as well in Cork. So, if you're a writer or a creator of any sort, Cork, it's, it's not a bad place to be based in, is it? It's absolutely not. And and um, Paul Casey and his team run a brilliant event, uh, uh, Oveil, for poetry for many years now. And I really admire... Uh, them all um, and uh, you know the more we do fiction at the ferry I think the more we realise that there, you know you really do have to turn up and do it even when maybe you're very busy with other things as well but th- that's the other reason why we called ourselves fiction at the ferry because we didn't want to impinge on Uvail's great work in poetry Yeah I have found um, other Cork writers to be very supportive I think there's a friendly and there's a sharing atmosphere I think I know that people are always sharing information that they hear about whether it's um, competitions or submission opportunities they they pass the word around they don't just keep it to themselves and one of the things I like about Cork is maybe it's the size of the city but it's just a perfect size for um, that natural happening upon people that you you meet them at one thing and then you meet them again at another thing and if you go along to a launch in Waterstones one night well then you might meet some of those people at the Frary Bar at the end of the month so it's a good way of just naturally I think being in touch with with other writers and there's quite a bit of collaborations happening which is good I think and we've been doing some collaborations with with other organisations ourselves so there's a lot happening in the city I think the different things feed into one another. Absolutely and I think um, you know uh, we just would like more people to come along and feel free to come to a free event even if they don't write or they just have an aspiration to write or they just like reading or listening to people read or they just like some chat because we end up talking about the most unlikely <laughs> things during our conversations with 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 writers and and our general conversations and i think um we really want people to be feel to feel welcome and uh, for our event to be inclusive for everyone and I think that that um, goes for the other uh, events in Cork as well you know we've collaborated with for example Cork World Book Festival and uh, um, Cork City Library etc and and oh yes we did um, run a couple of um, uh, reading your work aloud workshops with Pat Kiernan of Cork and Durka. And I think that was actually quite useful as well because some people write very well, but they're, they're maybe very nervous as well. And uh, learning to have the confidence to read your work aloud is 
really useful. I found it really useful myself. We also have um, Dominic Moore filming with us. I think that's going to be a way of making the conversations and events available to people who maybe can't make it to the Friary Bar on the day, but would still like to, to access the chat and hear the readings. So we're, we're doing a little bit of that. What advice would you have, First Madeline, for, for aspiring writers? What, what have you learned? I know there's no hard set rules, but what have you learned from your time writing and, and hosting fiction at the Friary that you feel you could pass on to aspiring writers? I think by at this stage I've forgotten more than I, I learned. The first thing I always say to people is read, read, read. Because unless you're reading, I think, um, you know, it's very difficult to learn the craft of writing unless you read a lot of different things. Um, and the second thing, I suppose, really being very practical is to actually, this is the most difficult thing for me, is to actually sit down and write. <laughs> and the third thing is, um, I think you have to, uh, you know, when I was young, I thought everyone did this stuff just because they were incredibly talented and bright and smarter than me and creative. But actually... There's a lot of hard work there as well in terms of editing and, you know, killing your darlings is one of the those famous quotes and being prepared to look at your work in a different way and um, and and learn the craft of writing, I suppose. So I found uh, workshops with good writers very useful. You know, it's very important, I think, to... Um, to do what you can and be yourself and write with yearning, I think, and but not to drive yourself into a, a crazy hole of depression because things aren't working out for you in the writing world because it's very hard and everyone has their time and if you do the work, eventually it will become your work, no one else's work, not comparable to anyone else and it will find its place. Um, so uh, I think um, it's very easy sometimes to despair about creative work and that applies to any artist um, uh, of, or anyone in life. But, you know, you keep, keep hope alive always and just keep going, I think is very important. I, I agree with everything that Madeline has said and you have covered it so well and, you know, holding on to that hope and not slipping into despair is so important. I think learning to keep a sense of perspective in writing is so important because sometimes we can, maybe I should just speak for myself, I can get so taken over by what I'm working on that it can feel overly important and then when it seems to me to, that it fails or gets rejected that can just be too crushing so I think it's so important to learn to keep a bit of perspective in your life while you're writing and the only other thing I would have to add to everything that Madeleine has said is um, the importance for me of writing groups because I found that was a big milestone in my development as a writer when I joined a writing group. And I found my group through going to workshops. And in the writing group, I make much more progress than if I was working on my own because there's someone who in a very kind but also very honest way will say what they liked about a piece but also what they didn't get.
at all and you've a much better understanding very quickly of how a piece um, works or doesn't work for a reader so I would say if you can at all find yourself a writing group people who are as committed as you are and ideally who are around the same stage in in their writing journey you forgot one piece of advice do a law degree (laughs) I think it's amazing how many of you even in Cork alone like yourselves Catherine Corwin you've done law degrees and you've gone on to write short stories, novels. I think up the north as well, Steve Cavanagh, the great thriller writer, I think he's a lawyer. John Grisham, I think he had a background in law. What's, what's the story with that? Andrea Carter as well, I think. Um, and in fact, uh, my brother Mike Darcy of the Ferry Bar is also a qualified solicitor. I don't know, really. I, I had a theory once that all solicitors wanted to become writers and all barristers wanted to play guitar in rock groups. Um, complete rubbish it's complete generalisation we were probably all readers I mean in my case my parents just didn't want me to do arts and um, I spent a year doing law and also um, doing (laughs) attending well I was attending more classes in philosophy psychology and for some reason modern Greek and French and then in second year law, I did a year of French as an extra thing. I had to ask for permission. And I'm very proud now you can do French in UCC as another element of the, the law degree. But at the time, you couldn't. Um, and I'm still sort of half thinking maybe I'd end up doing something else. Whereas, Danielle, you were very different. You really wanted to do law and you you didn't do law at first. I really wanted to do law and I think I was drawn through towards it really was kind of a magic of the words for me like I used like to read those legal notices that companies posted in newspapers and places because I just loved the idea that there was a formula of words and if you got that formula right it would make something happen in the real world and I just and I suppose it was because I loved words words anything to do with words was fine but numbers and or debit credit columns no thanks um so I really loved law and do you know what I just in terms of the stories I loved reading the law reports so they're collections of important cases that are bound up in volumes by year and for me it's it was like reading short stories because you got the most incredible details of people's lives and things they had done and the consequences of that and you got in the evidence I suppose that was being you know called forward for the court you got the most amazing details and things that people would never have said to anybody else only that they absolutely had to and they were under oath and they were in a fix and I loved what the law reports brought out oh yeah (laughs) I loved reading reports in the newspapers as well uh, when I was a kid, when I did practice as a lawyer, my most, my longest time in practice was uh, in criminal legal aid in London, and uh, the first practice I worked for was brilliant because um, the first thing they always asked me to do with a client was to take a personal history, and so 
the entire story of an individual will come out. You've released books in, in recent times. Daniel, yours was One City, One Book last year, The Art of Falling. Madeline, you released your second short story collection uh, earlier this year as well. What are you working on at the moment? So at the moment, I'm working on rewriting a new novel. A number of drafts in and doubtless there will be a number of more drafts to go. And I'm also working on a couple of short stories that I'm just, you know, just advancing every so often here and there. Because I like to work on a couple of different things at the time. That way I feel if I get bogged down in one of them, I know there's something else that I can just turn to and work to. I have been doing very little work recently. <laughs> um, I finished a draft novel that I'd been working on for years and now I really want to do maybe another three weeks on it. Um, but it it is... Uh, um, did that feature in the Cork a few years It ago? did, yeah, an extract from it because I didn't really have anything else short enough for... Um, the wonderful Patricia Looney to um, include in it so I gave her a bit that I thought wouldn't change um, and I've started work on a, a, a new novel that has a connection with France it's got a the uh, main character is Irish but there is a connection with France the first novel has a connection w- w- is set in Cork and London so I hope to God at some point in time I might get it published you know but I, it, it's partly my own fault I keep going back and touching it up um, and maybe I've just learned from writing one novel you know not to repeat the mistakes when I write, write this second novel um, so the first one is set in Cork and London the second one is definitely going to be set in France and so then I have to maybe travel a bit so I'll find another place to set novels in but at the same time you don't really need to go anywhere to write fiction you know it is all there around you um, the only problem I think sometimes is that truth is stranger than fiction and I find I can't write anything that is too true in case somebody sues me because after all we are solicitors yes, yes, <laughs> an interview you did I think Daniel in the in the Irish Times not so long ago talking about doubt and obviously you've both won a lot of awards you've got books out there running fiction at the friary successfully but it still does it still affect you both that doubt does that creep into your writing process oh completely yeah um like i never know when i'm writing something whether it's going to turn out anything like what i hope for it you know there's this idea you have in your head and then there's what ends up getting down on the page so i i'm always doubting whether i will be able to I suppose, capture that idea that that I have for a piece. And then what will people think of it? Well, what will people make of it? You know, it might sound very different to a reader to what it sounds in my head. So doubt is a constant thing. Um, The only thing I can say um, in terms of advice about doubt is, again, going back to writing groups that I find it's so helpful to work with my group because okay, I can have my doubts about something, I can give them the piece and they can say what is and isn't working about it. So it, that's a big help for me in coming to terms with the doubts because you could just do nothing and they would eat you up inside. Whereas at least if you show the piece of writing to somebody else, um, they can tell you something useful and constructive about it and then you have work to do. And then when you're working, you're you know, thinking about the doubt side of it less, I think.
Well, thank you so much, Jordan, for asking that question and also for your um, uh, very uh, kind sensibility because I think um, uh, what you and I hope other people will realise is that um, we are all very sensitive uh, human beings and full of doubt and insecurity and then occasionally something good happens and you know you you get a boost but I agree totally with Danielle I also have very good writing friends and we are all we all we all have times when we can celebrate environment is fantastic having people who are who are uh, supportive and yet incisive in their critique is fantastic because you really just can't give your work to your mother say or your cousin you know you need other writers I think at the same stage to 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 understand the the complete daftness <laughs> that is writing and I suppose it's the same as uh, people in other environments it's probably really really good for people who are madly keen on golf to go golfing or um, on Grand Prix racing to go to the races or uh, I don't know if Artists are as dependent on critique, but I suppose they are actually. And poets, I suppose, it's the same, you know. Um, It really helps, particularly when it's both honest and supportive, I think. One question I like to ask people, actually two questions, I guess. What what you're reading at the moment? Well, I've just finished reading Under the Mercy Tree by uh, an American writer called Heather Newton. And before that, I read her linked short story collection. She and her friend run also run, coincidentally, um, a uh, writing centre in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, another good writing friend of mine, Lauren B. Davis, who's a Canadian writer living in New Jersey, sort of introduced me to those two women. I actually think this book is just incredible. I'm going to buy you a copy, Danielle. It's got many different characters and many different points of view. And it's about an Uncle Leon who goes missing and then all of the other uh, characters have all of their own stories. Uh, But it is a novel, definitely not a linked short story collection. I just think it's like Carson McCullers meets... Elizabeth Strout it's just really great and that's a huge pleasure to sort of uh, know somebody a little bit from online contact only and think hmm seems so nice but then also to get read this work and realize it is fantastic it's just so lovely so I've just finished Molly Fox's birthday by Deirdre Madden and I re- I really love her books um, and that one was published way back I'm I'm catching up with her work um, but I really enjoyed that and I've now started into Enduring Love by Ian McCune um, I've read some of his short novels previously and really enjoyed them um, again this Enduring Love a book that was published I don't know maybe 15 years or so um, other recent reads Recent Pen by Emily Pine which I loved and also um, historical fiction book about the life of Edith Somerville um, by Martina Devlin that's a really great piece of historical fiction 
Actually, I've just remembered Heather Newton's um, linked short story collection is Macmullen Circle, and she's got a new novel coming out called The Puppeteer's Daughter. And I'm just really annoyed with myself because there's several more really good books that I've read as well. But it's always the way, isn't it? You, you, there's so many good books out there and they're all different, which is fantastic. What makes you tick? What motivates you day to day? It can be in your writing or just in your day to day living. So, I really like the early stages of an idea of a new story when it's at the point where you're making it up and putting it together I think there's great excitement in um, telling the story and then when you've finished the idea that something exists that didn't exist before you started so yeah just I I think I I like telling stories and I like working with words I find they're the way I can kind of negotiate my way through the world so it's um a way of getting from day to day and getting through life, I think, working with words. Um, yeah. Well, I think for me, sometimes it's a fairly passionate, passionate love-hate relationship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, the the writer and editor, William Maxwell, uh, he was uh, an editor at The New Yorker and he also wrote himself and he, he had a really a very good working relationship with um, Frank O'Connor, the famous Irish and Cork writer um, he uh, used the phrase the happiness of getting it down right and I think um, that is what I seek is the happiness of getting it down right i.e. that you think you're done and that um, especially uh, that it you haven't over egged the pudding as it were you've just got it done and it's right and there is no more that you can do to it. So you've done your best. I've done my best. It might not be everyone else's best, but it's it's done. So I, I suppose like a lot of writers, perhaps the happiest words you can put down are the end, you know. <laughs> but there, there, is, there is a certain obsessive nature to it as well, I think. You know, sometimes I can write and I don't want to stop at all. I'm just totally concentrated and then at other times depending on other things that happen around you as well you know it's 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 harder to find the joy in it because you're interrupted or there are other things you have to do but yeah the happiness of getting it down right i think is what i i'm looking for i'm wondering did we celebrate cork enough in the the episode today should it be the real capital um i saw um the image of a plane and it was a rebel Cork plane, and the plane <laughs> appeared to go from Cork to Cork because where else would you want to be like? Yes, indeed. <laughs> and I thought it was really funny. <laughs> um, and I agree that Cork is. I, I lived in, in England for 13 years, and uh, I've just been in London for a few days, and I am so glad I live in Cork now. There is so many positive points to living here it's a great city yeah i agree and definitely a good place to be a writer i think before we finish up i brought along two short extracts from your stories from your many great stories if you wouldn't mind reading them um thank you so much jordan for chatting to us thanks jordan yeah lovely lovely to talk i brought along two short extracts from both of your many great short stories Danielle yours is a partial list of the saves which was a Sunday Times award winner 
uh, inspired by the Titanic or the Titanic experience in Belfast. And Madeleine, yours, I believe, and I was surprised to hear, it was actually your very first piece of fiction, I believe, in the, which featured in the in the Sunday Tribune many years ago, is this Scotland, and they're both stories I love. And if you would be so kind as to read them, uh, the opening extracts, uh, we'll, we'll start with you, Daniel. A partial list of the saved. The flight attendant who brought the beer was the same one who'd performed the safety demonstration an hour earlier as they'd taxied down the runway at San Francisco. In the unlikely event of landing in water, a disembodied voice had said as the woman popped a life jacket over her head. Unlikely hardly went far enough, Connor thought. He hated to be a pedant, but still... It was unlikely that he'd packed a European adapter, but one might yet materialise among the tangle of accessories he'd shoved in his suitcase as the taxi waited by the curb. It was unlikely that the man seated to his left would stop talking any time soon, but it was not inconceivable that some affliction of the throat might set in. It seemed wrong, somehow, that the possibility that they would all be plunged into the icy waters of the Atlantic to have their eyes eaten out by small fishes should be placed on a par with these other, more mundane eventualities. Surely, at a minimum, it was extremely unlikely. On the other side of him sat his ex-wife, Reese. They'd been married 10 years when he discovered she was conducting an affair with one of her co-workers at the Marine Biology Centre, a younger man called Dan. Or Quinoa Dan, as Connor privately thought of him, with his man bun and his converse and his vegan tray bakes. Connor had been to Dan's apartment once in the days before the affair. He'd eaten flourless vegan cake for Dan's 35th birthday in a loft in an old bottling factory in Mission Bay, an open-plan rectangular space with upcycled furniture and cork floors. When confronted about the affair, Ree said that she was sorry, but she didn't say that she would stop seeing Dan. Instead, she'd quietly packed a suitcase and left. That was in January. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Daniel. Uh, Madeline? We'll have to pretend we're in actually Bantry for this. <laughs> um, is this like Scotland? Finton can smell warm chips as he enters the pub. His stomach rumbles, but it can't be heard above the low-volume anguish of tainted love that emanates from a jukebox in the corner. I haven't heard that in years, Vinton observes, as he leads his father-in-law, Sven, to a comfortable seat in the corner. When was it in the charts? Late 80s, maybe? Sven doesn't know. He could pass for a West Cork farmer in his sensible anorak and Wellingtons, but in fact he's a small-town Swedish dentist. So, Sven, says Vinton, what'll you have? Sven knows. Bimish. Finton goes to the bar and orders two pints of Beamish. One good thing about Sven is that he appreciates a nice pint of stout. One bad thing is that he never buys a round. 
Fintan's plan was to bring his wife Annika to Ireland to see the land he came from. But Annika insisted on bringing her parents too. They've all been here three days now and Fintan's paid for everything so far. The meals, the hotels, the petrol, everything. Fintan watches the first pint swirling into the glass, the deep, almost opaque black liquid swirling, the tan-coloured froth rising to the top, and his mood lightens slightly. He remembers visits to Creedence Hotel in Inchgila with his dad when he was a young boy. His father would drink one for the road, and Fintan would have red lemonade and a packet of potatoes. Then they'd head home in the grey Morris Minor, up the mountain to Gurtnahokti. The memory is so real, Fintan jumps when the barmaid speaks to him. Many thanks, Madeline. That was a real treat. Thanks to you both for reading for us. That was Madeline Darcy and Danielle McLaughlin from Friction at the Friary. And thanks to Madeline and Danielle for speaking with me on the Lee Side Lives podcast. Fiction at the Friary returns in August, next month, August 2022, after a short summer break. You can visit their website, fictionatthefriary.ie, for more information.